Bitcoin uh, Equity Series. So this is the first episode and uh, we're hosting uh, Zach Brackford, which is the CEO of uh, CleanSpark. The um, CleanSpark is the third weight in our uh, ETF at the time as we speak. And um, uh, we wanted to jump on the call to get our uh, investors to know more about uh, your company and uh, get us through all uh, the background uh, and the details of your business. So uh, can you please introduce yourself uh, briefly and uh, then uh, I'll go through a list of questions that uh, we have prepared for you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, th thanks for having me. So I am the CEO and co-founder of CleanSpark. Um, we started the company in 2014. At the time I was the CFO and was the chief financial officer of the company through 2019, at which point I took over as CEO. So my background's in finance um, and also in energy, which is uh, ultimately what led us into Bitcoin. Okay, great. And um, as a Bitcoin mining company, how do you position yourself compared to other Bitcoin miners? So right now uh, we are about the third largest producer of Bitcoin of all uh, US traded public companies. So we have nine exahash of processing power. Now um, that's backed by about 280 megawatts of power. We have five wholly owned data centers that we own operate um, ourselves. And then we do have a small partner facility in New York that where we co-locate, um, you know, about 16,000 miners. So um, we have a large fleet of a little over 90,000 uh, Bitcoin miners that are producing roughly 21 Bitcoin, 22 Bitcoin um, every single day, um, at least as of the, the date we're talking today. And um, we're, we're doing so, you know, on a fully funded basis. We recently just announced that um, not only is all the growth we have fully funded, but our future growth that we projected for 16x and a half, which, which should take us to be amongst the very largest miners in the U.S. that uh, self mine um, is all the you know, money's in the bank. It's fully funded and ready to go. And so we're really excited about it. We carry a very strong balance sheet and very low debt. Okay, that sounds uh, awesome. Uh, just for me, for um, my understanding, when you say you're fully funded, how come uh, you're able to be fully funded and yet expand uh, while being fully funded uh, without taking any debt? And uh, this is quite unique actually in the Bitcoin mining space where we saw last year a lot of Bitcoin miners uh, going bust uh, and a lot of business models uh, involving mining with leverage that uh, suffered a lot uh, and uh, went bankrupt. Uh, how did you survive this uh, 2022 uh, crypto winter and uh, how did you manage to, to build the business model without taking any debt? Yeah, so, um, you know, Bitcoin is a volatile asset and, and that's the key thing to understand. What happened in you know 21 and 22 that caused some pain in the space was um, it was very common for miners to do two things. One was to hold all the Bitcoin instead of selling any of it. And two was to seek out a lot of leverage. 
Now, leverage in a traditional business um, can work well for an asset-heavy business. Um, the problem is, is when the assets change in value um, almost on the same scale as the volatility of Bitcoin, which means you have an asset, when you purchase it, it may cost $100, and then in a bear market, it may be worth $20. I'm just using the theoretical numbers, but that's about as big a swing as we saw um, where miners were paying about $10,000, $12,000 a miner for miners today that can be purchased between two and $3,000. And so when you take out debt, you end up with two problems for, you know, one paying the debt, um, the assets you're producing now don't go as far, but also you have lenders who uh, may have options because of, you know, being under collateralized to seek out more collateral or accelerated terms. And so those two things caused a lot of debt problems. Um, and then again, going back to the fact that no one was selling their Bitcoin. So at the peak of the market, we actually announced that it was not popular at the time, um, but we, we basically made a prediction that Bitcoin was peaking at the time in the 55, 60, you know, thousand dollar range. And we started selling Bitcoin. And that allowed us to cash flow um, our operations directly without needing debt to support um, our operations. Now, some of our other peers, they ended up ultimately being forced to sell these large, you know, uh, holdings of Bitcoin at, you know, 50% value or less, even when Bitcoin bottomed out this last December of 16. Um, so by, you know, avoiding the leverage that we felt was overly risky, um, and instead relying on our operation, operational cash flow, um, that's really how we did it. And, you know, this comes down to being strategic versus ideological. And in the Bitcoin space, ideology around Bitcoin and holding it for extremely long periods of time um, is something that can, you know, gather headlines, um, but it isn't always the right strategy for business. The same way that a gold miner doesn't hold their gold um, just to hold it. They need to sell it into the market to pay their bills and keep their operations going. That was the attitude that we took. Now contrast that actually with today. We're actually, now that we have, you know, all of our growth so nearly doubled between today and near the end of this year um, taken care of, we're actually taking the approach of now is the time to start building our Bitcoin treasuries. So we actually doubled the Bitcoin in our treasury last month um, because we believe that there's now a trajectory of the market, especially ETFs and you know things like that pending in the US that will bring a lot of capital into the Bitcoin space. So we think now is the time to hold the Bitcoin. So, you know, when you really break that down and how do we survive that time period, it was by choosing strategy. Um, we made bold calls. We grew quicker than anybody else uh, during the bear market. Um, we really think that's the time to grow when assets are low cost is the time to buy them and put them into use. And, you know, at the bull markets, assets are expensive and we'll probably grow slower during the bull market and instead look to just continue to build the balance sheet and grow stronger because Bitcoin is cyclical. There's going to be a bear and a bull uh, market likely inside of every four years tapping cycle. Okay, that's uh, quite unique actually because uh, what most miners I had seen uh, were uh, 
building uh, Bitcoin treasury in 2022 and had to sell them uh, in 20, end of 22 and beginning of 23. And you did it, you did exactly the opposite. But yeah. if you look at it deep down, what makes, how, how, how come you have this crystal ball of knowing better than the other miners what's uh, going to happen? Because uh, I find it very tough. Also, the price prediction of Bitcoin for the next 10 years is very easy. It's going to the moon. <laughs> but uh, timing it so precisely, I find it a very hard exercise to do. So what kind of uh, uh, tools or uh, measures or uh, what's the secret behind uh, your, your market calls or your Bitcoin price call action? You know, where, where we focused has been, you know, partially on how Bitcoin is going, but really the, again, the underlying assets has been important for us. You know, whether that's the value of the data centers that it costs to acquire, we've been heavy in the M&A space, or actually the servers, the Bitcoin mining servers, which which I think usually it's, it's almost like a, a canary in the coal mine. It starts to signal where the market is going. And what, what we found is, um, by looking to that in addition to Bitcoin and kind of triangulating, um, it comes down to human behavior. And so when human behavior starts to take the form where um, people are willing to overpay for the assets that are connected to Bitcoin, such as the miners, um, that indicated to us the peak. So for example, um, our, we've always had a goal as part of our strategy that when we buy a mining server, that it gets plugged in to produce Bitcoin as quickly as possible. That means you have to build the data center and the you know everything that you need to plug it in and then try and get the miner to arrive at the same time. Um, the market in late 22, um, or sorry, in, in late 21, they started buying miners where they were paying almost 10 times the amount that the miners been priced at, you know, 18 months before, and they weren't going to receive those miners for 12 months. And we looked at that and we, and we, we saw a lot of miners go out of really heavy debt to make these purchases. And we saw that as irrational human behavior. And that human behavior where somebody wanted something so badly that they would ignore basic cash flow parameters you know it means you if you take debt on that most of those parties had to service 12 months of debt without a cash flow producing asset so you, you saw cash flows and a misalignment not occur so we we just felt that the supply and demand curve had been moved in the wrong direction and so we actually took the position that it was actually better to you know purchase slightly different models of miners, um, maybe pay a slightly different price to buy miners that were, you know, could be accessible within 30 days to plug in. Um, and so that, that that was really our focus, was focusing on the human behavior side of this. And that's really what pointed to the direction of things. Um, you know, right now we're looking to the, to the same thing, but we're using maybe larger market dynamics. You know, we're, we're enthusiastic about the ETFs about what's happening in the regulatory environment where Bitcoin um, is looking to, a, you know, more clearly, and I think it will become even clearer in the coming, you know, 
six to 18 months. The Bitcoin is falling squarely in the, for US regulatory purposes into a commodity. Whereas US regulators are really pointing to other cryptocurrencies as securities, which is creating additional risk around those. And then when you look at the ETFs getting behind it, because that certainty is becoming clearer, you know, it's not it's not done yet. The ETFs have not been approved, but at least it seems like it's now about you know, if it's not if the ETFs will be approved, it's when the ETF will be approved. We we think it's in the next four to six months. And that is our main indicator we're watching now because the amount of capital that that will bring in if you know a pension fund and hedge funds have the ability to even just put you know half a percent or one percent of the funds into a bitcoin etf that bitcoin etf will you know bring a very large amount of capital into bitcoin and further push it up and when you combine that with tapping which you know it has built-in scarcity and for for your listeners who may not be aware of what that means for bitcoin in every four-year cycle the reward that we get as miners is cut in half so right now we get 6.25 bitcoin for every block for 900 a day and um going into next year that number gets cut in half and so that scarcity um just just like when you know there's a high demand for something well when supply decreases in the same way values go up and so that's that's really the magic of bitcoin is the fact that this scarcity is a built-in focus so when you combine scarcity with what's likely a large inflow of capital um, it, it really seems like there's nowhere for bitcoin to build it up so that's why we're seeing this as a time to start to build the bitcoin treasury now that we've further solidify our balance sheet. So we're, we're, we're very enthusiastic about the coming year and um, think that there's a, a lot of upside ahead of us. Okay, awesome. Um, so you're mentioning a lot of catalysts coming in the next uh, 12 months, I would say. So the Bitcoin spot ETF, the um, uh, clarification or or qualification in securities for uh, a lot of cryptos and we see it starting and it will probably continue the halving which brings uh, which will bring scarcity because the rewards of miners will uh, the supply basically to miners will diminish and uh, and these uh, you feel it's a good time uh, for uh, uh, now to build a, a good uh, a treasury based on uh, Bitcoin to capture the upside potential uh, coming from um, all these catalysts. But uh, what about yourself uh, as a miner, uh, seeing your uh, future rewards uh, cut in half in the next 12 months also uh, would uh, bring a significant uh, reduction of uh, revenues and therefore, how are you preparing for it? How do you expect your company to do post-halving? Yeah, so there's there's a couple ways to look at it. So one is, you know, with all these catalysts, Bitcoin goes up, and therefore any reduction in Bitcoin is offset by the increase in value in Bitcoin. Um, but but that isn't a plan. That's hope. 
And so we we are very hopeful about Bitcoin, but instead we're focusing on preparedness and planning. And so an important thing to understand is the major cost of any Bitcoin miner is energy, basically our utility bills. And we've strategically located ourselves in a position that has abundant energy. Most of our operations are in Georgia and we have very low cost power um, in, in the region. But not only do we have low cost power, but our machines or the power they use are highly efficient. So the average efficiency of a machine for every terahash or processing you know, measurement for a Bitcoin miner, the average is 40 watts or 40 joules per terahash. And basically every terahash is a processing, you know, power that goes into solving the algorithm and that leads to ultimately Bitcoin rewards. So on average, that that is 40 to 43 watts. Our current fleet efficiency is 29 watts. And by the end of this year, through the upgrades and expansion we're making, our average fleet efficiency will be 25 watts per terahash. The fleet efficiency or, or the world global fleet efficiency is still expected to remain above 39 watts per terahash um, all the way through half. Now at halving, if Bitcoin stays flat, there's only two mechanisms that will allow a miner to stay profitable. One is a highly efficient miners and the other is the cost of electricity. And if you have less efficient miners, you need to have very, very low power in order to stay plugged in, or you what you do is you turn off. And the you know another great thing about Bitcoin and how it was so well thought through is there's a mechanism called difficulty, and that ultimately is the amount of rewards you get or how hard it is to solve that. And because there's a reward given about every 10 minutes, and if it takes longer or shorter it gets harder or easier to solve that. And the reason that is, is there's an expectation that the algorithm will always seek out efficiency. And so what, what should happen if Bitcoin stays flat is miners that will, are not efficient, they will essentially be losing money. Because think of it this way, if Bitcoin gets cut in half right now, and Bitcoin is at $30,000 for Bitcoin, it's now worth 15, if your cost to mine a Bitcoin is over $15,000 of Bitcoin, you will be losing money and you will have to unplug. Now, what that means is all the Bitcoin produced that day, more of it will go to the efficient miners. So there will be actually a windfall or increased number of Bitcoin that will be available to us because instead of there being, you know, basically the pie stays the same size, but the slices get bigger. And, and that's what we really expect. Our current cost to mine for Bitcoin, which we expect to actually improve as we get more efficient, is around $11,500. And so at that point, if Bitcoin stays flat and the reward gets cut in half, we will still be profitable and we will still be able to mine Bitcoin. And all the other miners that are less efficient, they can choose to run at a, a loss if they want to, but you can only run it a loss for so long before you have to turn your machines off. And then the pie, the piece of the pie will get bigger for us. So that, that's really what we expect. We, I, I do expect it could be as much as 
20 to 35 percent uh, or even more of the miners that are mining right now that won't be able to stay mining um, after the half. So that means that our piece of the pie will get 20 to 35 percent bigger or the number of Bitcoin we mine will increase by 20 or 30 percent, um, assuming you know, Bitcoin stays flat. And if it goes up, that means it's good for everybody. And, um, you know, the, the size of the pieces of pie will stay the same. Okay, interesting. And um, I just want to go through, like, um, I looked at uh, briefly your latest results and uh, started looking a little bit about your uh, valuation. Today you have around the 1 billion market cap with uh, 600 million of uh, shareholders' equity. So this uh, premium uh, valuation, how do you justify it? And uh, how do you find it? I remember like when we, when we first bought your shares, you were, caught, you were trading at a discount, at an equity discount, and today you're trading at a slight premium. Um, where do you see this uh, valuation going uh, forward independently of uh, the Bitcoin price? Yeah. So um, importantly to, to note, um, if you actually look from a peer comparison point of view, we are, we are still undervalued. Um, and we've actually, I'm going to use some comparisons. Um, and again, you know, each of us are a little bit different, but, you know, we're, if you look at us, you know, the number two uh, Bitcoin miner from a market cap point of view, and then you look to us, there's actually a, another billion and a half difference. So their, mar their market cap is 2.5 billion, but we've outproduced them um, for the last several months. And that's where we think value actually is driven. So we, we have over 600 million in assets, and those assets are all producing Bitcoin every single day. And so our, our revenue run rate is over $200 million annualized as of right now. And we will be doubling the size of the company roughly to get to 16 exahash from nine exahash. So just under doubling um, inside the next six months. So I think that there's a lot of growth catalysts that we haven't yet been given credit for. And, you know, we're, we're not a real estate investment where you value on a net value, you know, net tangible asset value um, because we're producing substantially more revenue from our assets than, for example, a real estate company would. And so instead, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, miners are being valued um, right now anywhere from six to eight times um, future projected revenue. And we're we're still sitting on the low end uh, of that. So, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to you know, and, and what my focus is going to be is now that we've reached a billion dollar valuation, um, my my real focus is on increasing that to two billion and beyond. Um, and and I think that we can do that by proving our operational excellence. So another thing that's different about CleanSpark is we have amongst the highest uptime or realized half rate of anybody and what that of, of all of our peers and and what that means is if you look at the machine servers a company owns and the theoretical output that could be received, uh, produced by that number of machines and that hash rate 
you know, where do your uptimes happen? Our uptimes are consistently 98, 99% and above. Um, some of our peers are as low as 50% uptime. And that has a lot to do with the regions that we, we operate in. It allows us to have very high uptimes because of good temperatures, but also because our energy prices are, you know, very controllable and they stay low, um, as opposed to some of our peers who are in Texas. And, you know, for a lot of the summer, a lot of the miners in Texas have been required to curtail or turn off their facilities 20 to 50 percent uh, of the time um, on average. So. You know, our uptime, therefore our production, and our, what we produce on a per asset basis is much higher. So what that means too is we've been able to also acquire miners for less than some of our peers. So what is $600 million on our books uh, is partially because we've done extremely well calling the market bottom for purchasing machines. Um, I'll give you a direct example of this. So the best server available in the space right now is uh, Bitmain's Antminer XP. And we have paid uh, as low as you know, $21 to $23 a terahash to acquire these machines. Uh, some of our peers pay between $70 and $110 a terahash. So what that means is that our ROI and our payback on these assets is much lower. And although it looks like there's only 600 million on our balance sheet, some of our peers for the same amount of miners would show a billion dollars or more of assets on their balance sheet. What that means is they paid more for the assets, not, not more valuable because under US GAAP accounting rules, you report the assets, you purchase fixed assets of this type at their cost basis. So actually having a balance sheet um, at $600 million shows a benefit compared to our peers. It shows that we purchased better and that also, therefore, we're going to have lower depreciation, um, which will affect our net income on a long-term basis. Most of the miners that we purchased will have between an 11 and 16 month return, full return on investment um, on what we purchased. Most of our peers, they have return on investments between two and three years. So our assets will pay back and produce you know, net positive cash flow quicker and more efficiently than almost any of our peers. Really, I, I would say any of our peers due to our uptime and the low cost at which we purchase the miners. So although on paper it's 600, there's a substantially more value in the assets than what we have right now. And that's why I think that it's just about communicating that, getting that out in the market, continuing to outperform our peers. And that's how we're going to bridge the gap in valuation between where we're at right now and you know our, our next closest peer, which has a you know, market cap of over $2 billion. Um, you mentioned uh, the, the current market valuation of Bitcoin miners being a multiple of revenues. Um, but uh, without looking at the market, what would you take as a valuation metric or uh, as a way to compare miners and their valuation and even in absolute terms, basically, because it's a, such a unique business 
that uh, it's very tricky to apply traditional financial uh, projections and modeling on uh, your business. So uh, do you find it correct to, to, to value Bitcoin miners according uh, to their revenues or do you see any other metrics that are relevant? How can uh, like a, a financial analyst starting to uh, uh, look at your sector uh, how, sh how should he look at uh, or how should she look at uh, your uh, company's valuation and other Bitcoin miners valuation? Yeah, I, I think that uh, valuing on revenue directly would would be, it is is a little short-sighted. Now, most financial analysts have to pick something to, you know, tie multiples to. And then it comes down to giving weight to the secondary items. I, I think that um, there's a couple things that I think are incredibly important. One is track record and uptime. Can a company maintain high uptime? Otherwise, their revenue producing capabilities um, must be discounted, right? Um, and then second is the efficiency of the fleet because a company that is producing revenue now, even if they're at moderate margins, if their fleet efficiency, in my opinion, is over 32 uh, joules or 32 watts per terahash, I don't think that they will be a profitable miner um, post-halving, which is less than a year away. So next April, I think anybody over that 32 mark um, is going to be having a lot of trouble and will likely be mining at a loss. And so if it, I think that's the key thing that cannot be ignored by a financial analyst is fleet efficiency. Um, second is um, cost to produce Bitcoin. Now, part of that is energy, which is the most important. But if energy is looked at by itself, then you're avoiding or you're not identifying the opportunities of scale, which is all of your other costs. Now, we, just like any other company, there's a lot of costs that go into being a large public company. We have lawyers, we have accountants, we have staff. You know, we have almost 150 employees. And so we look at our all-in cost of mining, and it needs to be in a place that allows the company to be profitable. So the all-in cost of mining, the energy cost of mining, and the efficiency all need to be looked at, especially as we approach um, the happening event. And then the second is, I want to go back to track record. Um, you know, track record isn't the length of time that you've been in the space, but I, I really think everyone should be looking at how is the company maintaining its uptime, which involves the ability to repair facilities, repair machines, um, have, you know, high quality data centers. You know, when we invest in our data centers that we build, um, we do it the right way um, to make sure that there's true longevity in the systems. And, you know, it's an indicator of problems if a company can't maintain that uptime. It means that they don't have a good repair team, that their servers are getting old, maybe their servers are getting overused or run the wrong way. You know, there's all kinds of things that go into power. Frequency response you know, systems, things that keep um, power running in very clean into these these miners so that they don't get voltage spikes, things like that that can cause damage. Um, and so really you have to look at the quality 
So all of those factors with an overarching you know, concept of quality. And, and this is something I really, truly believe that CleanSpark can stand up against any of our peers and show that we're, we're doing better. Um, and again, scale will matter. Um, going into halving, we will be you know, at 16x and half. Right now, we're about 2% of the global uh, network um, hash rate. You know, we'll be, you know, three and a half, close to 4% at the current trajectory that we're going into halving. And um, that's going to make it so all of our overhead, it goes further. We don't have to increase our overhead to add more hash rate. So really, all the hash rate we're adding at this point incrementally is going to the bottom line. So the bigger you are, it's, the easier it's going to be to you know, post profits, but also you know, survive the, the bear market as they happen. So we're, we're, we're really excited about the future and think we're incredibly well positioned. Okay, awesome. I'll, uh, I'll run all these numbers. I'll ask my team to run them and see how uh, CleanSpark uh, comes out uh, based on those evaluation metrics uh, you just uh, explained. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you, given that you are European-based and you have a, a European investor base that is very uh, focused on uh, ESG and climate change, uh, uh, what would you uh, tell them regarding uh, Bitcoin mining in general and CleanSpark more uh, specifically um, overall the ESG perspective and the sustainability perspective? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, CleanSpark, we actually have a background. We actually got our start as a company in the renewable energy space. And it, it was a really obvious move for us to apply that expertise and move into the Bitcoin space. Um, and, you know, we, we released, I believe we were one of the first Bitcoin miners to release a sustainability report that I could point everybody to. You can find it on our website. We released it in the first quarter this year. And you know, at the time, yeah, based on our prior 12 months, um, we were mining at over 90% carbon-free power amongst the highest of all of our peers. Um, we are located in Georgia specifically because we were targeting locations with um, a high amount of carbon-free power. So Georgia is one of the few places where nuclear power has continued to be turned on. And, you know, there, I, as much as nuclear power can, you know, have uh, opinions on both sides, it doesn't produce carbon. And, and that's been our focus is being in places where, um, you know, there's good generation assets that aren't producing carbon. We also do participate in several renewable energy programs um, in the state of Georgia, specifically in the prior year was a solar program. And then this year we're on a program called the FlexRex, which do support the building of renewables in the state of Georgia. And um, also it's important on when when you look at the social part of this, where we're locating is actually largely in rural areas and towns inside the state. And what, what that's providing for us is the ability to give back to the communities that we operate in. These are communities that you know, oftentimes are disadvantaged because they lost you know, factory jobs from, you know, years ago. 
but that's also why they have these um, energy resources. And so we can come into the towns, we can add um, jobs, we can support the community, and we're very active in our communities and interacting with them. And we, we think that that's just as important as our environmental impact goals is the social impact that, that we do have. So that's really where we've been focusing. We, of course, do, do believe that Bitcoin is um, you know, really a transformational financial technology, and that's also important on the social side. Um, it allows a lot of people in you know, less advantaged places in the world to have a good store of value, um, to have something that you know, is potentially you know, anti-inflationary. Um, and also, you know, to take normal, you know, some of us take for granted the banking access that we have. Um, a lot of people don't have banking access. So this, again, provides people the ability to transact, to save. Um, so we really believe in what Bitcoin is doing also for the broader world outside what we're doing in just Okay, awesome. Um... One last question um, before we finish this interview. I, um, how do you um, uh, compare um, going uh, holding Bitcoin versus holding Clean Spark, like uh, or Bitcoin miners, but preferably Clean Spark? Uh, how should an investor look at one versus the other? If I have the uh, possibility to buy Bitcoin or buy uh, CleanSpark stocks, mm -hmm. why would I do uh, one or the other? Or why would I go for CleanSpark? Obviously, because this is, I suppose, where uh, you're in business and this is where uh, your value proposition uh, lies. So, yeah. uh, what's your conviction about your company versus Bitcoin itself? You know, I, uh, uh, to be honest, I think that, you know, investors should get exposure to, uh, you know, both. But oftentimes, um, you know, holding Bitcoin can be trickier. It's, it's, it's something that people aren't familiar with. So stocks are a great way to, to look to do that. But specifically, um, when it comes to mining stocks, the benefit that uh, an investor sees is there's generally an additional beta. You know, when Bitcoin goes up, Bitcoin mining stocks go up more. Um, so if you look, for example, from the beginning of this year to date, uh, mining stocks are up substantially more than Bitcoin. Bitcoin, you know, doubled. Most mining stocks are up, you know, 150 to 300 percent. And so, you know, there's, I think, a better uh, yield that can be generated from mining stocks. Um, and, and this also comes down to the fundamental value proposition to miners. We're essentially able to have a direct cost of mining, like I mentioned before, which is our energy cost of 11,500 when we get Bitcoin. So that means we're essentially in the business of investing 11,500 or Bitcoin, which is worth three times as much, you know, roughly as of right now. And I think that's why mining stocks get the benefits of a substantially higher, you know, beta or yield upside in, you know, when Bitcoin makes market moves and goes up um, is because our cost of acquisition of Bitcoin is lower than it is for anyone else. 
And um, it's lower because we're incentivized to support the network and to provide the backbone um, for, for what Bitcoin really is. So, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in having a little bit of Bitcoin in my own portfolio. We, of course, as a company, have Bitcoin in our treasury. Um, but also, you know, I'm, I'm a real believer. I, of course, am one of the largest shareholders of the company. Um, and I am in this business and believe in the, in the company that we're doing because I do think that mining stocks do have that, you know, beta difference where they will go up more than Bitcoin goes up on a percentage basis, um, you know, as, as Bitcoin continues to climb. Okay, beta is an interesting uh, value proposition, but what about alpha? Do you see any uh, additional value or risk-adjusted value coming from uh, holding a Bitcoin miner or CleanSpark, more specifically, versus holding Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, if, if you also look at, you know, Bitcoin on a dollar-by-dollar -dollar basis, you know, on, on, on a risk-adjusted, you know, there's there's a lot of ability to move in and out of, uh, of mining stocks, but you know ultimately I think that if you look at the and I'm going to use the year to date, you know although there's a lot more data that, than that, but the year to date um, has been really interesting in the sense that you know when Bitcoin ticks up, miner stocks go up more. When Bitcoin ticks down, uh, miner stocks are still going down a little bit, but um, they're not going down as much and that's allowing us to you know retain more value i also think that there is a basis on the investment where it's really about you know value production and you know as long as we can produce bitcoin or one-third the cost of a bitcoin um you know there's there's a 300 percent value for every you know, or 200 percent value 3x up um, for every bitcoin we produce and so as a as a shareholder to be able to participate in that upside is i think the value proposition in, in this process so um you know there, there's a lot of reasons and i think that it comes down to what what's the reason that you know investors invest in bitcoin mining stocks is it for direct exposure or is it for indirect exposure to bitcoin is it due to the ability to generate you know cash flows at very high margins um, and I think for me, it's it's about both of those combined. And I, and I think that that provides a lot of value upside um, when compared to holding Bitcoin directly. I, I totally hear what you're saying. And actually, this is what I spend my time telling my investors because everybody's excited about a Bitcoin spot ETF, while they should be excited about a Bitcoin equities ETF like uh, we have uh, listed because uh, we see uh, Bitcoin as uh, a decentralized uh, currency and uh, you don't see any USD spot uh, ETF or uh, Euro spot ETF because there's no value in holding the currency itself but rather uh, holding the companies that are building on this new technology on this new ecosystem and uh, these are the ones that will really benefit uh, from the exponential growth much more than bitcoin and the year-to-date performance have uh, showed it uh, indeed um, i'm gonna conclude with these words uh, to thank you very much for uh, this interview and uh, i hope we'll uh, be jumping uh, more often 
on such a discussion together to talk about uh, your results, but also the market in general and uh, how the ecosystem is evolving. Thank you very Excellent. much, Brian and Zach. Hey, thank you. Look forward to it. Yeah. Okay, speak soon. Take care. Hey, thank you. Have a good one. Bye.